This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with former Wimbledon, Stevenage and Newport defender, Fraser Franks. He discusses his time as a professional footballer, as well as the challenges faced along the way, his experience of playing for England, as well as his enforced transition away from the sport due to a heart defect. This episode of the podcast was also recorded over the internet, so may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. I guess Fraser, first thing, how are things? How's life in lockdown and all that? Are you with the family well? Yeah, I can't complain. Um, I've got a one-year-old that, that keeps me entertained. Um, she's uh, been crawling for about a month now and on the verge of walking. So that's a job in itself, looking after her and keeping an eye on her throughout the day. So that keeps me busy. And then, uh, and then yeah, I've still got other bits of work going on. So can't complain and, and keep myself busy and active. And then, obviously, we spoke briefly before, um, but you mentioned kind of some projects that you're doing at the moment. Do you just want to talk through exactly kind of what you're doing with yourself, kind of post-football, if you like? Yeah, um, I went straight into, because I was living in the area, Bristol City got me in, um, just to have a look around the training ground and meet meet some of their staff and see some of the roles that were, that, um, were at the club. And uh, they brought me in as a first-team scout straight away. Uh, just on a part-time basis, but it was brilliant for me, really, because it kept me in a in a routine almost where I was still involved in football and I was going to games on a Tuesday night and a Saturday and probably covering about three or four games a week. Um, so I'm still doing that. Obviously, it's postponed during lockdown and there's some video analysis bits to look at, but and I enjoy that side of it. And then the other side is um, working with a, a law firm, actually, um, which I probably didn't think I'd ever do, <laughs> but um, but yeah, they they've got relationships with a lot of football clubs and um, work with the Premier League and some of the academies on delivering uh, workshops surrounding education and social media and player welfare. So it's a side that I'm still learning and um, yeah, getting to grips with. But but I really enjoy it. Yeah. So on top of that as well, I'm. Uh, studying for a master's degree at Salford University so that's part-time as well studying sport and directorship so yeah I've kept myself as busy as I can really and that's what I wanted to do when I when I came out again uh, well we'll probably come back to that properly later because it'd be interesting to hear kind of your transition into that world I guess our past first cross when we used to play against one another um when, when you were at Brentford in terms of for you your kind of childhood and playing and going through that phase what did that look like what you know who did you play for how did you get into academies all that type of stuff um so i played just uh street football really from as early as i can remember we had a little uh little cage um football pitch around my estate we lived on that council estate in south london so there was a lot of kids around the area that, that used to play out and I was one of them that played out all day um, and then just, just started playing through for the school and district teams and it was actually quite early. I, I played for my first, my first club was Wonder Wanderers, a Sunday league team and I joined when I was eight and I only played for a season um, and I was doing Chelsea development centres at the time to just 
Chelsea football in the community and it was like a, nothing to do with the academy or anything like that. It was just like a little development centre. Um, we used to go once a week, but the funding got stopped for it, so it closed down. And um, because of that, they offered three or four best players of each age group a trial for Chelsea's academy. Um, so I didn't actually get scouted. I got put through uh, that way while I was still playing. Um, and yeah, I went on trials uh, as an under nine um, at Chelsea and then, yeah, stayed in, the, stayed in the academy system for quite a long time after that. For you in that time, in terms of like your de- your development and stuff, what type of things were you working on? Was it ball mastery and stuff, how it looks today or was it different when you were growing up then? Uh, it's definitely different to, to what I see these days. Um, yeah, a lot in terms of organisation, um, travel, things like that. This is even away from the football. There was no uh, there was no expenses for parents or anything like that, which I think the kids get now. Um, so I, we was getting my mum used to give me like take me on the bus and the train and that kind of thing. And I think you used to get like a Mars bar and a milkshake after training, which uh, they probably don't do at Chelsea these days. But but no, it was um, yeah. From what I remember, it was probably not as detailed as, as coaching is now. It was um, a lot of technique work and I remember a lot of dribbling in and out of cones and little volleys and little headers and stuff like that and um, small-sided games. Um, but yeah, it was. it's definitely, uh, I'd say the coaching's definitely improved now. I've been, I've been in at Chelsea and looked at the setup and got a few friends that are coaching there now. So um, I think the kids have got it a lot better than we had it, but yeah, I, I absolutely loved it when I when I joined there. And then obviously you went through, well, my understanding, you went through kind of foundation phase and youth phase and stuff. And then yeah. I think your journey there stopped at 16s when you're going for a scholarship. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then how was that transition for you? Obviously, you've been there for a long time and that's probably something yeah. that happens quite a lot. And you have kids there from eight and they go all the way through and then don't quite make that scholarship thing. How, how was that for you that time? Yeah, I think going through the age groups, I think I, start, I signed there as, a, as I say, a nine-year-old. Um, but I went on trial with one of my friends um, who was also in the development centre and he was an age group above. And I didn't really want to be on my own. So I actually made out I was an under 10. So I, I went on trial a year a year up just so I could be with my friend. So I was a little bit nervous going in there. Um, so for the first month, I, I didn't find out and I was training with the under 10s. And then I remember they came up to me and was like, it was like you need to go down with the under nines and it probably really helped me actually because I was felt like I was holding my own in, in that age group and then when I went down to the under nines I was probably one of the, the better players at that age um, I went there as a as a striker and uh, yeah and then quickly uh, worked my way backwards I think so they put me in midfield and then I ended up uh, I could head it quite well when I was a kid so they ended up putting me at the back probably about age 10 um, but now going through the age groups, I always felt early I was one of the better players, and then I, I could see physically um, I was just getting dominated, and I hadn't hadn't had a growth spurt or anything. So when it came to the ages of twelve, thirteen, fourteen, I could see that I was I was probably losing a little bit of confidence as well. I was quite a, a shy, nervous kid, um, and I could see there were there were bigger athletes coming in and people that were a lot quicker and stronger and. By the time it got to under 16, I was I was actually expecting to get released, and I didn't feel like I I didn't feel like I was good enough there at the time. So it wasn't really a shock when I did get released at 16. 
it's interesting obviously now there's a lot of talk around kind of early developers or late developers and all that type of stuff do you feel like physically you developed a little bit later on when you got into the yt or is it that they were just kind of specimen and physically outstanding uh they were physically outstanding i think it's when chelsea first started putting money in so we were getting we're getting a lot of lads coming over from holland and france and uh yeah they were they were physically beasts at 14 15 16 and i I hadn't had any kind of growth but i think i went there as a as i say a nine-year-old and i was quite a big kid at that age um, but then everyone overtook me and I didn't have a proper growth spurt, I'd say, until I was about probably 16, I reckon I was, um, and then started to shoot up a little bit more. And, but it still took me it still took me probably until the age of 18, 19, 20 to actually fill out a little bit more and, you know, get a little bit more powerful and that kind of thing. So I was definitely I'd stay a late developer in that sense. Obviously, you kind of got released at 16s and you said you were kind of expecting it. How did you go about trying to find a new club? Um, what did that look like for you? Yeah, that's, an, that's another thing I found really different now and you get a lot, of, a lot of help and a lot of care afterwards, which is great. I think the aftercare at most clubs that I speak to is, is brilliant. And yeah, when I look back, um, the conversation at first was, it was a phone call with my mum, so I wasn't even involved in the release process. I remember her getting a phone call. They, well, they said, you're going to get a phone call at this time. And then they had a conversation with her on the phone and that was it. I was, I was released. But it seems strange now that I didn't, you know, didn't really get the feedback from the coaches or anything like that yourself. And it was just a conversation with my mum and she told me. Um, but yeah, after that, it was, it was almost a case of Chelsea said they would like put my name around a little bit. And it was almost a case, I remember of, getting every club's email address and um, even their postal addresses. And I was writing to, handwriting to clubs and asking if I could get a trial and saying I'd just been released by Chelsea and all that kind of stuff. And I think there was only three or four that got back to me, um, but they all said, you know, you have to be scouted this kind of way and couldn't offer me a trial. And then out of the blue, I just had a call from Millwall for a trial there. And then one of my friends was at Brentford I'd spoken to a coach there and got, I got a trial there. So I was on trial at Millwall and Brentford at the same time for probably about a month, I'd say. And then ended up, Millwall wanted me to come back in pre-season and Brentford offered me a contract. So I ended up ended up signing for Brentford. And then how was that transition going in as a newbie, if you like? I imagine you've probably gone in with some lads who had been there for quite a period of time and all that type of stuff. Yeah, it was. Um I was made to feel welcome straight away. I remember that. Um, the difference from Chelsea, obviously, like facilities-wise and everything that comes with it was, you know, by the time I was 16, this was when Chelsea were winning leagues and um, Roman Abramovich had taken over. So the facilities and stuff were unbelievable. And then to go to Brentford, who were in League One at the time, and just it was just like on a park pitch, you know, floodlights that were going out and no kit and things like that but I was never someone that really cared about that kind of stuff it's uh it's somewhere where as I said I didn't I was really shy at Chelsea and nervous and didn't feel like I was good enough to be there and then dropped down to Brentford and really gained a lot of confidence and probably found a little bit more belief in my ability um I needed to to do that because you know I felt comfortable playing with the players there and yeah as I say I I had the chance to go to Millwall um in that pre-season but 
once once I had an opportunity to sign for Brentford, I, I loved it there. So, so I made that call. And do you feel like you benefited in terms of coming in from Chelsea, having that reputation, or was that a bit of pressure on you to come in? Yeah, probably a little bit because I think I think back in those days, a lot of the a lot of the youth teams lower down were taking you know the Chelsea boys, the Arsenal boys, the Tottenham boys. I remember we had. I think there was a lad from Tottenham and a lad from Watford and myself that came in at the same time. I think the good thing was Chelsea made their decision really early um, in the season. So I had the under-16s um, almost a year at Brentford before the, the YTS decision. So by the time we went into the YTS, you know, I built up a good relationship with the players. I got to know the club well and I'd seen some of the other lads that got released really late in the year and almost signed for Brentford without even having to try or anything like that. They struggled quite a bit at first because it took them a while to adapt um, when we did all become full-time and, you know, start that YTS. And how was that transition for you? You mentioned full-time there in terms of going in full-time. Obviously, college, you went in a day a week or one and a half days a week, yeah. whatever it was. How did you find that kind of being in around the first team a little bit more and being able to commit to, I guess, strength conditioning and all that type of stuff? Yeah. Oh, I absolutely loved it. It's, um, I think when I look back at those couple of years in the youth team, they're still like two of the best years of my life. I think that when I got that decision, as I said, I signed for Brentford, but when you get that decision to say, we're going to take you on as a YTS, it was just the biggest biggest relief, really, because I didn't know what I was going to do if I didn't get that. Um, I didn't have any backup plan. I would have probably ended up, you know, trying to go to college or sixth form or something like that, and something I was desperate to avoid at the time. But no, when we, when we got the decision and became YTS players and, you know, you train in full-time, I absolutely loved it. I loved being around the first team. I was always quite busy, so I was always trying to speak to, you know, senior players and build relationships and even when I was cleaning boots and stuff like that, I was trying to trying to get him on the first team and feel feel a part of it and yeah, it was brilliant. I think training full time and being a footballer was the only thing I'd ever wanted to do. So to, to be able to do it and to live it was just yeah, I loved every minute of it. Do you think being, as you said there, kind of busy benefited you? 100%. I think uh, in terms of players starting to know me around the building, uh, members of staff, I say being busy, I was always, I used to always get um, sort of the mickey taken out of me for, I think because I was so obsessed with football. I knew, for instance, your QPR team, I knew everyone's like, I used to do my background on who was playing against and I knew all the other scores and things like that from youth team games. With a lot of the lads, they had a lot better social life than me. Um, I'd come through I'd come through an all-boys school and my friends had started doing the wrong thing, so I literally cut out all of them. And um, so I didn't have any friends from away from football. And I remember when we had like a game called off or something, I'd be I'd be devastated because I knew I didn't really have anything to do outside of football. And the rest of the boys would be cheering and buzzing because they go to that house party or something like that. So I think that that kind of helped me in a way because I was so driven at that age. But on top of that, being busy in terms of doing extras and you know, I was always someone that probably picked up the combs after we finished and was always quite professional in what I ate and 
didn't drink alcohol or anything at, a, at an early age. So, so yeah, I, I definitely think it benefited me in a long, in a lot of ways being busy. I, th- I think people see people are sometimes too afraid at academies to step away from the crowd and you know go and practice something or go and speak to someone else because it's not seen as the cool thing to do. And you get a lot of a lot of players in academies and in first teams that will take the mick out of you and that kind of thing. And it, it almost stops stops a young player from doing something maybe because it's seen as, you know, not cool. But you speak to those lads that didn't do it later on in their career and they all wish that they had done. So I, I think it's definitely something that helped me. Where did you get that drive from? Uh, I think it's built within. But I think probably my upbringing gave me it. Um, I think having a sibling probably gave it to me. I had a younger brother who I could always go and play football with and compete with. Um, I was always playing against older lads in my local area and things like that. And I just think through through growing up in school, you know, when you when people say, what do you want to be when you're older? It was only ever one answer. And people would always try and say, oh, you need to have a backup plan or, you know, not all kids become footballers. But I almost took that as... Like, I almost got offended when someone would say that to me as a kid. And I was like, no, this is what I'm going to do. So I think I was always always driven from, say, from the age of probably about six or seven to become a footballer. And then, obviously, you mentioned there about doing extras or staying out and doing this stuff. Did it ever get to a point where you were able to drag others out with you, where they'd stay out and do those extra bits as well? I think in my, in my second year as a scholar, I began to... I began to train with the first team a lot and was on the bench for the first team quite a lot and involved. Um, so yeah, I think probably others maybe did a little bit after that, whether they whether it was because of me or not, but maybe they saw what I was doing was actually working a little bit. And I just felt even 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 at lunchtime and stuff, I'd always try and sit with a first team player or you know we had players like I remember Carl Court was at Brentford who. You know, at the time he played for like Newcastle in the Premier League and Wimbledon, and these are people I've watched on TV a lot. So I'd always try and sit next to him and ask him questions. What was this like when you were there? How was Bobby Robson like as a manager and things like that? And from a really young age, I was doing that and always, always just wanted to be involved with the first team players because I looked up to him so much. I think. I think yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting um, in terms of that drive to be able to go and ask questions or, or challenge people and stuff. And I think being able to ignore the social aspect of it is probably the the hardest bit. Yeah. From what? It, it, yeah. yeah. I say I say didn't have a social life. Once I became, <clears throat> as I said, I think when you're in school and you have, you know, your mates are going out on a Friday night and stuff. There's only there's only so much they can ask you. So I used to they say, oh, do you want to come out? And I'd be like, oh, I've got a game tomorrow. Then it'd be next week, oh, are you coming out? I'd be like, no, I've got a game tomorrow. So then they stop asking you in the end. And because I'd seen they were, you know, starting to smoke and drink and all that kind of stuff, I just knew that I had to take myself away from that particular group of friends who I had at the time. But once I, once I became, you know, as I said now, my best friends are from that youth team at Brentford because it was such a bond that we had then. But... They became they became my social life. So you know, I'd start socialising with them away from football and that group of friends. They're all quite local to the club, so we we had a real tight knit. Probably eight or nine of us that would always you know hang out after football and socialise and stuff. And then in terms of like during that period, obviously you mentioned you, you had some good players that kind of came in and whatnot. Um, 
Was there any coaches or players you particularly learned a lot from? I think we had, we had such a variety of coaches. Um, and for a youth team, most youth teams only have one youth team manager. I think we went through all. So the first, I'd say the first, the first coach that brought me in as an under-16 at Brentford, Richard Dobson, just completely changed. My, my memory it now is so clear. My mentality at Chelsea was, right, don't be the worst player on the pitch. And honestly, I can still remember going in, into games thinking that as long as I'm not the worst or if you're doing a run, as long as I'm not last, if I'm second last, then that's fine for me. Whereas my mindset completely changed when I met him um, and he was like, no, you, you've got to want to be the best. And, you know, once I changed, literally just, it was like a switch went in my head that instead of accepting being second to last um, in the running or something like that, that I wanted to be first and him putting that mentality into me, um, completely changed my belief. He's gone on there. Uh, the unfortunate thing was he got a job at Wickham. He went to Wickham and he's still there now, actually. I think he's been there over 10 years as first team coach. So when we went through his YTS, he actually didn't um, stay with us. So we had, we had who came in, who was like an army general. Um, and he was there for about three, three months. And I say, I say, I look back and I loved every minute. I definitely didn't love that first three months under him. Um, it was brutal, and yeah, we. It's, it's one of the only managers I've not really got on with that well either. Was there any um, reason he, for that, or? Uh, not particularly. I think I think it's when I look back, like some of the stuff that used to go on, would you would he would be sacked for instantly now, and I think I don't know. I just I didn't say anything at the time, but I remember he used to, he used to try and humiliate some of the lads in front of you know to try and impress the boys and things like that, but. And I never, I was one that never really laughed at his jokes and I didn't find it funny. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't get on with him the, the most, but he left after about three months and then we had Scott Marshall come in, who was brilliant. He's now under 23s manager at Reading. And then we had Darren Sile come in. So that was my last youth team coach. Um, and he was a top coach as well. And I ended up actually working with him in senior football about 10, 10 years later. So I did, I took bits you know, from each of those coaches. Um, and, you know, sometimes it can be a good thing to go through so many managers because you, you can pick up little pieces um, from each of them. And then what about in terms of other players? Obviously, you mentioned Carl Court there. Was there any senior players or other youth team players that you were able to pick up little bits of information from? Uh, I think Robin Nichols in my youth team, who you know well, um, was always... Probably always someone that I probably looked up to a little bit, um, even though we were the same age and in the same team. He was he was another one that was so driven, and um, I think if things if things were a little bit different at Brentford, he would have gone on and you know no doubt had a pro career. But everything he did off the pitch, you know, so professional and in our in our um, college work and stuff, he was just leaps and bounds ahead of anyone, and we used to always try and copy his work. And, things like that but he's another one like he would do he would do extras and didn't care if anyone called him busy so he was another one he had felt like he had a similar mentality to me um and then in terms of the first team we had you know we had some we had some big players and big characters in there I'm trying to think now we had Kevin O'Connor who is now Brentford first team coach who came through the system and he was a one club man so he came through at Brentford and stayed there his whole career he was always someone we looked up to quite a bit, I think, just because you could see the pathway that he'd taken. But then we also had 
some some ex Premier League players that started to filter down. So as I say, we had Carl Court, um, Steve Cabbles, another one that I'm still quite close to that that came in. He used to get Watford and Sheffield United, who's now an agent. So I, st- I still speak to him on a regular basis. But yeah, we had we had some good senior pros, and as I say, I, tr- I tr- tried to take little bits off of each of them really, just because they were doing what I wanted to become. And how important was it having kind of a good bunch of senior pros at the team? How important do you think that is in terms of like a team dynamic? Yeah, it was great for us, especially in those youth team days, just because, you know, they're, they were, they're almost like idols to look up to at the time. Even though, like, you know, they were playing in, in League One and League Two, uh, they were professional footballers and some of them had played 500 games and they were in their 30s and... It's just it's just what we all wanted to become. I think in terms of um, yeah having that, as I say, they were a senior bunch, but it was a lot different back then. And we mixed. There was only one building at Brentford, so we all mixed together, and it was quite brutal back in the day when <laughs> there was a lot of initiations and a lot of jobs and that kind of thing. But nothing nothing that went on that was too bad. But as I say, it man, it can almost like man you up a little bit and. It definitely prepared me for that first team environment when I when I did step up. Am I right in thinking that you got offered a year's contract after after your YTS? Yeah, so I I started to become involved with the first team right in my in my second year, um, but we never we never had a reserve team or an under twenty three system like there is now. So you had to be ready to go from youth team straight into the first team and have an impact. Um, there was only ever probably one contract getting handed out every year um, and I look back at our youth thing we had some real good players but yeah luckily I was I was the one that got the the pro contract um, and that was yeah that was one of the best days of my life when I got that um, but it just it just didn't go it didn't go as I wanted it to that, that first year you know my first year as a professional and I look back and it just wasn't what what I'd hoped it would be why was that I think I think the the young lads weren't managed great. I think because we didn't have, um, you know, I was eighteen, nineteen at the time, but we didn't have a, a, a reserve a reserve team or an under twenty three system. So we were training every day and you know part of the first team, but I was only ever on the bench on a Saturday or not not involved on a Saturday and was never really managed particularly well. Um, it, the focus was on the eleven starters. Uh, at Brentford and you know people that weren't playing weren't you know didn't really get a look in um, but yeah I just, I just didn't enjoy it um, I became frustrated because I wanted to play and I've been used to playing obviously all my life really like playing on a Saturday um, and my only outlet really was when I asked to go on loan and I ended up signing for, for Basingstoke Town in the Conference South um, and I went there for three months and I actually really enjoyed it there um, my first taste of senior football and it you know it toughened me up but it also gave me a look into part-time football and that almost gave another drive of that I don't want to be training on a, a cold Tuesday night on a on an astroturf in a little cage I want to be you know out there playing full-time and you know being a professional so it gave me you know it was a really good spell for me and it was only three months but it gave me a real good outlook onto you know, I need to work hard to, to become a professional footballer. And I'd also seen the lads that were playing for Basingstoke were good players, but just probably didn't look after themselves and weren't as professional 
which is why they were playing at the level they were. I guess two questions off the back of that. The first one is, during that, that first year of where you've gone from YTS to pro, um, and you, you mentioned there that motivation started becoming a factor because obviously you're not playing this stuff. Were you, you still trying to do ex, extras at that point or was that something that began to wane as well? And I guess the, the, the next question off the back of that is, how um, what did you learn from going from YTS football to men's football? Is there anything in particular you can put your hat on and go, actually, that's a real big jump from under 18s to first team? Yeah. I definitely think I still I still trained hard every day and you know was doing all I could, but I was probably got to a stage where I was doing that for probably six months or seven months and felt like I wasn't getting anywhere, and I probably did get a little bit demotivated and down tools and was like, I don't want to be here anymore if I'm, you know, if they don't appreciate me and they're not, you know, I remember all I, all I ever wanted was like a little conversation or, you know, keep doing this and you'll get a chance or anything like that, but I didn't get anything like that and it was, yeah, it was quite cold at the time, but I, yeah, I definitely was deflated towards the end of it and, you know, probably in my head thinking I need to leave now. There was one, there was one stage where it was just humiliating for me because I'd uh, spoken to the manager and said, look, I really want to play. I've come back from Basingstoke and I want to be involved. And almost became a little bit of a pain for him, I think, where I was desperate to play and desperate to be involved. And I think it's a little lesson to me, whether it was a lesson or not. Um, we travelled to Colchester away, it was. And we'd only travelled with the the numbers for a squad. So, you know, you look around the bus and everyone, you know, we had 18 players, so everyone was going to be involved. And he put six subs on the bench and left me in the stands. And just uh, when he named that team and I was like humiliated in front of the first, like, I was a first team player, but I was humiliated and I was like, nah, I need to leave this club. If, if this is how I'm going to be treated and, you know, he's not going to put me on the bench and he's going to leave me in the stands when there's an opportunity to sit on the bench. I was like, what am I doing here? So that was, um, that was probably about three months left of the season. So that is probably when I down tours and was like, you know, I don't want to be here anymore and sulked a little bit maybe. Um, but in terms of learning from, from youth team football to first team football, I think results is probably the main thing. It becomes a lot more about results and less about development. I think in the youth team, you know, you'd lose on a Saturday, but it wasn't the end of the world. And, you know, the coach's job was to produce players for first team and not to win on a Saturday. I think when we stepped up to the first team, it didn't matter how you were developing really as long as we were winning on the Saturday so I think I think the results and the maybe the egos a little bit on top of that as well when you go into first team environment that was probably the biggest difference um, from youth team to first team football FM so I guess going back to your first story did was there ever was there ever any explanation as to why that took place or is it just kind of I've done it get on with it yeah no there was never any explanation it's actually the manager at the time is actually someone I've crossed paths with quite a lot now and speak to, and he's actually he's actually a nice guy to speak to. But just during that that year, like I just did not enjoy it, and it's something that I completely forgot last time I met him. But I, something I'm hoping that he still remembers, and I can I can speak to him about. But no, there was never any explanation. Someone told me that it was maybe a message to the board because he was implying that he needed money for new transfers. But if that was the case, then I'd have been fine if he told me that. You know, it was never explained to me or anything like that, or if I was just indirectly 
you're not in my plans, I'm not putting you on the bench, that kind of thing. I'm not too sure. But I just remember I was sat in the, in the changer on my own and I was like, what is going on here? I was like, I just didn't, I just could not get my head around it. But I did, that was another thing, the politics that go with first team football when it comes to trying to get players out and trying to move players on, it just becomes, I don't know, it becomes a little bit, yeah, not a nice place to be at times. So I guess along with that, you've mentioned kind of the difference between it being development football to performance-based results football. For you, obviously you're 18 or 19 at the, at the time and you can, you're can you still appreciating the fact that you, there's hopefully development there that you're trying to get on the pathway. Yeah. How are you balancing that out? How are you balancing your individual development with obviously also wanting to perform so you get to play or if you're on loan or something obviously wanting to perform so you get to stay in the team and stuff how do you balance that as a player I do think we had a we had a really good um strength and conditioning coach who almost became like a friend to um a couple of the boys that weren't involved on a Saturday so when I wasn't on loan we'd have a session with him on a Saturday morning and you know try and ask him for extras because at that time I was yeah, I was really skinny um, and I was a centre-back so I was trying to bulk up and I was doing extra sessions with him on a regular basis. But on top of that, when I was at Basingstoke, I'm not sure if, if it happens now with lads that go to part-time clubs, but I was training every day at Brentford and then going to Basingstoke of a Tuesday night and a Thursday night on, on top of that. So I was doing a lot of training. Um, you know, I trained with Brentford on a Tuesday, then I'd you know, hang around for a little bit and then drive to Basingstoke and train there in the evening. So I was doing a lot and I was lifting a lot and that kind of thing. So that year, because I wasn't probably playing on a Saturday as much, I almost used it to try and bulk up a little bit. And did you manage to do that heading into the following season? I think so, yeah. I managed to put on a bit of weight and I think I think the experience as well, going to Basingstoke and, you know, able to test that against men and I think I played 20, about 20 games so you know that was my first real taste of first team football and I was actually competing against you know big strikers and getting elbowed and broken nose and that kind of thing so I think that looking back that year definitely toughened me up um, in all aspects really. And obviously you got to the end of the year didn't, didn't stay with Brentford kind of moved on to Welling is that right? No, I went to uh, AFC Wimbledon uh, after okay. after Brentford. So I was released um, at the end of the season, and it was you know it was one of them. I knew it was coming, and something I actually in the end wanted to happen. Obviously, because I said I was felt humiliated and that kind of thing at Brentford. But I was I was only offered um, only offered a contract at, at Basingstoke really. So I was, I was struggling for another full time club. Um, but then I, I had the opportunity to go on trial at AFC Wimbledon just through. The goalkeeper at Brentford used to play with the the Wimbledon manager, so he got me in on trial. Um, and yeah, I went there and really dedicated myself off season because I knew that trial was coming up. And I ended up staying on trial for about a month, um, and then yeah, signed for signed for AFC Wimbledon after that. And then how was that year for you in terms of playing a little bit more from from what I saw and kind of still being in full-time football, but in a slightly different setting and whatnot. How was that? That was brilliant. And it real gave me a real love for football again. I think I lost it a little bit um, in that last six months at Brentford. But 
as soon as I stepped in at Wimbledon, I knew that was where I wanted to be. Um, I felt like it was the only, if I didn't get in at Wimbledon, I was going to sign for Bays in Stoke Town. So I was going to become a part-time player and you know, I, I felt like I worked really hard to become a professional footballer. I didn't want to give it up. So AFC Wimbledon were in the conference at the time, but it was full-time at a really professional environment and club. Um, and yeah, gave me a massive boost when I signed for him. And then um, I was still on the fringes. I was signed as a young third-choice centre-back. So I wasn't the starting, the starting one. But there was a, a game, it probably took me about eight, eight or nine games during this, uh, at the start of the season to get involved. And then two of the centre-backs came down with um, illness overnight and I was just chucked in um, for my debut. And it was, it was against the top of the league and it was on TV um, just literally about an hour before kickoff. Manager said, "Right, you're in. It's your debut. Like, give you a chance." End up, um, yeah, end up doing really well and got man of the match in my debut. So, I think it's one of them. If I if I'd been given maybe 48 hours notice of that I was playing, I might have over overfought it a little bit. But it was chucked on me an hour before kickoff. I wasn't expecting to to play, and he just said, "Right, you're in." And um, yeah, I, I I stayed in pretty much after after that, and I think that season ended up playing about. 20, 25 games, maybe. Like that. And in terms of your your psychology and whatnot, are you the type of person that would overanalyze stuff? Would you get worked up before, or are you generally more laid back and be able to deal with situations quite well? No, in my in my younger years, I was yeah really used to overthink everything. I think that's where I say I didn't have much of a too much of a social life away from it. So football was just. You know, I didn't have any other interests really. All I, all I did was watch football and play football. So any bad game that I had or anything like that, it would haunt me for days and days and days. And it, would, you know, take it home with me. Or you know, on the other hand, if I scored or we had a good game or won, I'd be on cloud nine for days on end. So I used to get, you know, the older I got, it was never too high, never too low. Um, don't get carried away with wins and good performances, and don't get too down. But at that point. It was just I was just so up and down of extremes and extreme highs and extreme lows and and yeah I was as I say I was quite a nervous nervous child growing up and quite timid and anxious so I always used to take that in with me um, into games really so it wasn't until the age of probably 21 22 that I started to relax a little bit and you know, become more laid back going into games and started to believe in myself probably a little bit more. And was there any particular strategies for you to develop that skill? I just think it came with experience with me. Um, and also just, I tried to have other interests and I, th- I think especially when I met my wife later on in my career, it gave me, you know, I could come home and, you know, I wasn't speaking about football with her. So it gave me a little switch off and, little other things in my life allowed me to switch off so that was good but I think it came with experience and it also came with probably some of the setbacks that I had I think um, you know I say I was in the team at Wimbledon and doing really well and we were top of the league or second in the league and then I did my um, did my ACL so did my cruciate um, and ended up missing the playoffs and the playoff final and we ended up getting promoted but I was out for the best part of the year and I think during that year you know, you have a lot of time to reflect and to to think on things. And I probably I probably appreciated football more when I came back, and that 
Uh, I didn't need to get so worked up before games or so anxious afterwards and overthinking and overplaying things in my head. So I think that injury probably helped um, mentally going forward as well. It's strange, isn't it? Because some people say that injuries for them are the real like downturn where they they really yeah. struggle to have confidence going back. For you, it's almost a positive because you realised you can have other interests but still be driven with your football. Yeah, definitely. And I just think it made me appreciate it probably more that I've never I've never had an injury before. Um, and to have one that was so serious, it kept me out for so long. You know, football was like taken away from you and it was one tackle away at Grimsby and that was it. I was, I was, it was taken away from me. So when you, it's a, it's a hard place to be when, you know, you're going in a day after day and, you know, you're on a different timetable to the players and different schedule and you can see them going out and mixing and having fun and, going on away trips and tours and you're not part of it. So that is, it is tough and it's a lonely old place when, you know, when you're one of the only injured players and you're with the physio all day. But it does give you that, probably adds to the drive and gives you, does make you appreciate that when you are fit, don't take it for granted. And then obviously for you, as you mentioned there, Wimbledon that year got promoted, which is obviously a massive positive for you and all the players and the, and the club. Um, I imagine it was a little bit difficult considering you, you couldn't be a part of that. How was it when you then came back um, the, the following season as, as a League Two player again and kind of in the football pyramid? Yeah, so that, I say I've missed the, um, the playoff final, but the staff there really went out of their way to make me feel part of it. And looking back at that, that playoff final is still one of the best days I've had in football, even though I was on the side. Um, I was in a knee brace and crutches, but as soon as we scored the winning penalty, they went up in the air and I was sprinting on the pitch and stuff like that. So they really made me feel part of it. Um, but yeah, I said I was really determined to get back in the in the league just to almost prove Brentford wrong. Um, I dropped into non-league and, you know, within a year I was back. So I came back with real drive and determination. Um, and I remember I hit the ground running in training. I came straight in and I felt fit straight away. I felt match fit, uh, not match fit because I wasn't playing. I felt fit and I was one of the better players in training and I was like, right, I can pick up where I left off because I was doing well before I got injured. But the manager was always hesitant to put me in um, and he said, I want to send you out on loan before you come back in. And there was a chance for me to go to Forest Green at the time on loan, which would have been like a full-time club. Um, they were doing well in the conference at the time, but he wanted me to go to Hayes and Yedin, which was a part-time club in the conference, but it was so I could train with Wimbledon and still play games. And it's one of the only times I look back with a little bit of regret because I, I went there with the complete wrong attitude. I was a little bit annoyed because I felt I was ready to play for Wimbledon again. And I didn't want to go, you know, back into the conference with, especially with that team. It was, I went there to training on the first night and I was like, it was, it was just a shambles. There were so many players. It was so unorganized and I, I didn't want to be there in the first place. So, I probably took that into my games and didn't do myself justice in that month that I went there. Sulked a little bit because I didn't want to be there. And it probably hindered me a little bit when I came back from loan to Wimbledon because I was so frustrated that, you know, I'd been out for a season um, and I'd seen everyone at Wimbledon doing well and I just wanted to be part of that team again. And to be sent on loan to a team that I didn't want to go to and, yeah, I just went with the wrong attitude and I should have just... I should have just got my head down, done that month, came back and tried to push, but it set me back a little bit and 
I ended up going on loan again to Newport County, which didn't work out for me either. Um, that was a strange one because you can only have five loan players in a squad, in a matchday squad. And at Newport, we had eight players on loan at the club. So three loan players had to miss out every week. So I was there with cover for, for an injured centre-back. And once he came fit, I couldn't get in the squad because three of us had to miss out. So that was another frustrating time for me. And then I came back and I ended up playing probably the last four or five games of the season at Wimbledon. But again, I probably sulked a little bit because I wasn't in the team and felt I should have been. And I was only 21 at this point. And I remember having a conversation with the AFC Wimbledon manager at the end. And he just said, look, you've had a year out and you know, you've been had a game here and a game there. I just feel like you need to go and establish yourself somewhere and get a little bit more experience. So I ended up leaving leaving AFC Wimbledon that um, that second year. Was that then when you went to Welling? That was, yeah. So that was that was a tough little tough summer really because, you know, I I'd had a really good year at AFC Wimbledon the year before when I got injured. And um, you know, I was getting linked to a couple of clubs and probably getting carried away with that a little bit myself, thinking I was maybe going to get a move somewhere until a year later of being released by them. But every club I spoke to that summer was saying, oh, you're too inexperienced for, you know, for a centre-back. Um, you've only played 30 games or whatever it was. And every club was coming back to the same thing, um, every full-time club that was. And I just said to my, I just knew, I, I said, I've got one more chance. I need to go away. I need to go somewhere. I know I'm going to play week in, week out enjoy it that kind of thing um the only the only bad thing for me was it was part-time so i, so I ended up signing for Welling just because i'd spoken to their manager jamie day and he was just brilliant he was an ex-arsenal player um used to coach uh with eddie howe at bournemouth and them two are, are best friends so the way he described football to me and that kind of thing and what he could do he just said look come here get your head down he was like i've watched you play all you need to do is have a good season here and you'll be back in the league. And that's obviously where I wanted to be. And it ended up being one of the best decisions I made. Um, I had to swallow my pride a little bit because I've seen some of my friends go off. You know, if I look back at my time at Chelsea, some of them lads were now playing in the Champions League and in the Premier League and stuff. And I was having to drop down to part-time football. So I had to swallow my pride a little bit and and do that. And But yeah, I, I got my head down and, and luckily it paid off. And then obviously you spent that year, you played a lot and I imagine doing quite well in that group. Um, I'm right in thinking you played for England C during that period as well? Yeah, so I signed for Welling in the Conference South and we, as I say, it was, it was a really good year because we ended up winning the league, um, winning the league and get a promotion into the Conference. That year was the most, the most dedicated I've ever been to football. I'd say I was dedicated before, but this was just, I was... Because I was part-time, I was training on my own and pre almost pretending I was full-time still. So I made sure, you know, I knew, I think social media was quite a big thing for me back then. And I could see some of my friends were like Snapchatting themselves, going to training and being with the lads and stuff like that. And I missed it and I was like, right, I'm just going to almost pretend in my head that I'm still a full-time player. So I used to get up at the same time I would get up to go to training, drive to a park, bag of balls and cones and do my training then go to the gym come back and recover that kind of thing and then train with well in the evenings and I, I just dedicated myself so much that year 
just because I did know that that was my last chance. You know, if I, I could have been one of these players that dropped into part-time, ended up, you know, like some of the other lads, not not living right and not really being professional and could have gone and got a job and tried to earn a bit more money and just settled for that. But I, re- I moved back home to my mum's, um, which took a bit of financial pressure off me that meant I could just play part-time football and focus on it. And yeah, we won promotion um, with Wellen and got called up to the England C team at the end of the season. Um, and that was that was really big for me because it you know, was almost like a reward for, for what I'd done that year. And how was that experience? I mean, representing your country at any level was pretty special, I imagine. Yeah. It was incredible. It was, um, it was Bermuda away was the, uh, the fixture, so I couldn't believe it. It was like a week in the Caribbean. Um, <laughs> but I don't, a lot of people don't know this about like the England, the FA, the way they do it. Um, so they treat every England team or every England representative as exactly the same. So we were like, first, you know, travel was unbelievable. Um, you know, you get equipment, hotels, everything was like top class. And I just couldn't believe it. It was just going from, I was playing obviously part-time at Welling at the time to being treated like that as an England, you know, England player and wearing the kit and singing the national anthem before games. And if I look at that squad, it was a, a ridiculous squad that we had. And I think there's been about four or five that have gone on from, from that non-league England C team to play in the Premier League. And Who was in it? I think that was, so I think we had 16, 16 or 18 that were in the squad. And I think 15 players ended up getting a move into the Football League after it. Um, so we had Andre Gray, who's at Watford at the minute. Um, Sam Klukas, who played in the Premier League for Swansea. Stoke, he's at Stoke now. Um, Andy Yeardham is at Reading. We've got Marcus Madison at Hull. Mark Roberts is at Birmingham. Uh, Angus McDonald. Where is he now? He's at Hull as well, I think. So you had probably about 10 players that ended up playing in the Championship or higher. Um, Matty Taylor, he's at Bristol City. Um, and it just, it, for me, it was like a, a little shop window because it was all the lads that were under 23 that were doing well in non-league and it allowed clubs to to come and view those players and and yeah, it was it was it was brilliant for me because I ended up getting five caps on five different occasions. So, just great experience, like something that at the level that I played at, I've never experienced going to Bermuda. And we played Czech Republic away, um, Slovakia away, countries I'd never would have experienced and things I'd never would have done. Um, and it's just a, a brilliant thing for non-league players. And how did you find out about it? What, what was that process? That was through that was through my manager at Welling. So he phoned me at the end of the season and said I was on the, I think there was an, an, an initial 30-man squad and then it got whittled down to 18. Um, and yeah, that just all came through him and it was something that I'd never really even thought of. Um, it was just after the season had ended and then we got sent, the England C manager had sent the training programme to keep ourselves fit and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, that was it. The, the next call that I had was I was, I was selected and that we were travelling about a week later to Bermuda. And then in that environment, is there anything that you learned about yourself or was there any like common threads between you guys as a group looking, looking at what you guys were aiming for? 
I definitely learned a lot about myself. Um, it's probably the first time the the England team manager is Paul Fairclough, and he was he was he was brilliant at, because he only got us for a small period of time, and he wanted everyone to to knit and become almost like a club. So there was a lot of um, I'd never had to do it before, like standing up and speaking in front of a group, and it taught me that a little bit, and it gave me my first real experience of that, and I probably took that with me as you know in terms of like a leadership skill as, as I got forward. A lot of the things we did were like you had to interview each other and then stand up and speak about the other person, what they'd experienced in their life. Some of the common threads were, you know, it was, an, it was 18 lads that were in non-league football who were all under 23 and who were all desperate to become, you know, professionals, whatever league that would have been in, you know. I'm not sure I would have believed that some of them would go into playing the Premier League, but it just shows how how driven and how talented that group was. But I think just being around those sort of characters, I could learn, I learned a lot of some of the other players, just some of the, how they looked after themselves, what they were going through in their own, you know, because none of us were where we wanted to be. A lot of them have been rejected from other clubs and were desperate to bounce back. So it just gave me a real good core group to, to learn off of and see that some of these were going to be top players. So that gave me someone else to learn from. And do you think that all of them kind of had a similar drive to you where they were doing those extras and doing those in, important bits away from the club that helped them develop and go higher in the pyramid? I think the majority were, yeah. I think that's what separated probably us from, which is why we got, you know, called into the England team. A lot of them, you know, some of them can get away with it and it comes naturally. And then, you know, the ones I've always been jealous of, um, but no, you could see you could see the ones that were dedicated and that were so determined to, you know, to, to progress their careers. And then from from moving on from that, um, what was your next club and how did that come about? So we went after that. I uh, went back to Welling. Um, that's that summer at Welling, I had the opportunity to go to Barnet, which was under Edgar Davids at the time. Um, but there was all sorts going on at that club, and it wasn't Welling didn't want me to go and. They'd almost said to me, "Look, we want you to go and get your move, but this ain't the place for you to go." But they'd just come down to the conference as well. Although they were full time and Edgar Davids was manager, which was a draw for me, I ended up staying at Welling for another. Um, I'd signed another one-year contract at Welling, <clears throat> but I had a buyout clause in it, um, so any team that bid that, Welling would let me go. And I don't know how, but that got into the non-league newspaper um, around January time. And then I had Welling contact me and said, I think I think it was four clubs that had activated my relief clause, so then I could speak to um, speak to different clubs and, and see where I wanted to move on to. And I ended up um, it was Forest Green, Colchester, Stevenage, and Luton. And I'd gone to pretty much all of them and had a look around the training grounds and stuff like that. And but when I went to Luton um, and you know saw their fan base in the stadium and it was in January time and Luton were top of the league and looking like they were going to get promoted and I wanted to be a part of that so ended up uh, ended up signing for them. And then how was that transition for you obviously moving club you've done well at well in, and how was that moving across? Looking back it was it was quite tough for me um, as I said I dropped into Welling and established myself and played every week and I was you know without being big headed or anything I was the, like a big fish in a smaller pond there and you know, I felt 
although I was only 22, I was captain most weeks and, you know, I felt really confident at Welling. And then I was going from from that into a, into a big club um, with a lot of senior players and a lot of a lot of egos really in that in our squad at the time. And because it was a January move also, um, they were already top of the league and I was coming in. It was quite tough. Um, add, add into that the pressure of playing for Luton, which is, you know, I was playing for Welling in front of maybe a thousand people. From them playing every week in front of 10,000 um, for a club like Luton who were in the conference and, you know, everyone could see that they were they should have, you know, they, they were a League One championship club and the fans knew that, so they were desperate to get out, which added a lot of pressure on games. And I went there and I started started really, really well. Um, and I think we won, won my first five games and kept five clean sheets. And, uh, yeah, I started doing really well. And then... I remember I had one game, I had a game on TV that I had a nightmare in and we lost. Um, but I stayed in the team for the rest of the season. But there was a few games, there was, there was an issue where I let my man score from a corner and it became this massive issue. Every week we'd work on it so intensely that it ended up being something that I'd go in my mind. I was like, right, don't lose your man, don't lose your man. And it was, it was something that, you know, I should have been so much more free going into a game and shouldn't have had that worry in the back of my head but it was always it was just I think the difference going from Welling to Luton was just so big for me and it was Welling was just you could play with as much freedom as you wanted you know I was I was still I was doing really well but I was still making mistakes but I was allowed to make mistakes and I was allowed to do certain things but I think the pressure that came with Luton um, the management style was completely different um, probably not not someone I clicked with really as a manager. Um, yeah, the the first, you know, I went there in January and we ended up, we had 20 games left and I ended up playing 19 of the games and I thought we won probably 14 of them and ended up getting promoted. So I did, you know, there were periods there where I loved it and obviously when we got promoted, they were, you know, great days and some of the best days and something I, you know, was massively proud of at the time, but it was just... If I, I look back at my time at Luton and I just yeah, I just didn't enjoy it. It's, it's a hard one to explain. I didn't enjoy it as much as I hoped I would have. It was everything I'd wanted. Like I'd gone, dropped into non-league and dedicated myself and now got this big move that I wanted, but it just wasn't what I pictured it to be. From, from what you're saying, it seems like um, coaches and managers can have a real impact on on their teams and how their players are and whatnot. Obviously you mentioned your you YT coach, you changed your mindset to not not wanting to be last, to being the best, to obviously your gaffer at Welling who's kind of allowing you the freedom to go and play and all that type of stuff. Do you think that's a, something that you've found throughout your career that managers can have a real effect on what the team environment looks like and the psyches of players going into games and whatnot? Like uh, huge impact. I think um, you know it was John Steele at the time at Luton, um, and we had a, we had a big squad, and we had like some people on you know for the level like big money, and there was egos and that kind of thing, and it was an environment where it was another one of them. It was brutal, and if you made mistakes, you were you know they were brought up in front of everyone, and you were punished. And I used to hate the Monday morning meeting that you come in, you'd be like all weekend I'll be thinking, 
and obviously I'm just, if, I make, if I've made a mistake, that's getting highlighted in front of everyone and I just didn't like that kind of thing. Um, there was, I felt there was a way of doing things and, you know, as much as it needs to be said, if you've done something wrong, then yeah. Um, but there were times where you just pull someone into the office and just go through a, a DVD with them or something like that and make it personal rather than trying to humiliate someone in front of a team, which was never something that I liked when I, when I saw managers do it. There's a time and a place for it, but not something I was I was massive on. But I think for me, um, in, especially in my younger days, I think man management was, if I was managed well by a coach and you know felt a bit of love and felt valued, then they got the best out of me without doubt. But when I didn't feel that, then it's probably when, uh, when I didn't enjoy it as much. Sorry, you got to the end of that season. Did you stay at Luton for another season or what did that look like after promotion? I did, yeah. I stayed there um, and I, I signed a two and a half year deal. So I'd stayed there. And as I said, I, I played near enough every game when I when in the conference when we got promoted. So I was, I was still a key part of the team. Um, I just didn't have a great relationship with the management at the time. Um, just in terms of, I, I felt... I was being restricted in how I was playing and, you know, for, for a centre-back, they just wanted me to head it and kick it out of the stands and that kind of thing. But at Welling, I'd been confident to do a little bit more than that. And then that next season, you could just see that he was bringing in more experienced players and players he'd worked with in the past. And I think we had, we had a squad of about 35 players in the end. Um, so when we were in League Two, and I think I played probably 15, 20 games in, in League Two. Um, and then got to the end of that season and had a conversation with John Steele and just said that I've got a year left on my contract, but I need, you know, I need to leave. I need to go and I need to go and play regular football. I'm not enjoying it here. And he agreed. Um, um, and then, yeah, luckily, uh, luckily I'd done enough in that time to stay in the league and sign for Stevenage in League Two. And am I right in thinking Teddy Sheridan was manager of Stevenage then? Yeah, he was. He was. So I had, as I said, I had a year left at Luton, um, and Stevenage and Luton were both in League Two. So one thing I didn't want to do was drop back at like it. Just felt every time I got to League Two or in the football league, you know, I'd never quite do enough, and I'd have to drop down again. And it had happened two or three times now, and I was just, I was like, I worked so hard to get to League, like become a football league player that I didn't want to go back down. And then I got. Um, I got a phone call from, from Teddy Sheringham saying that he wanted to sign me uh, at Stevenage and that was just, yeah, I couldn't believe it. When he, when he phoned me and I was like, this is one of my, like, the Euro 96 stuff's on at the minute in lockdown and just seeing how good he was as a player and he was, as I said, I was a striker growing up and he was like one of my heroes. So to get a phone call from him saying that he, you know, he'd seen me and he wanted to sign me was yeah, I was over the moon with that. And how was it working with him? Because I imagine obviously he's worked with some of the best around Fergie and stuff at United. Was there anything you learned particularly with your time with him? He was he was brilliant for me. Um, real good coach, but it just didn't. I think the level with him, he's he's been an elite player and in, in elite environments, and I think he struggled to when people didn't meet his standards. I think. He was so used to everything being so professional and top-class players. The year before, he was um, coaching at West Ham, so he still was involved with you know Premier League players. And I think when just when he dropped down to manage a League Two team, I think he felt frustrated at times that some of the players 
couldn't execute what you know he was used to, and he didn't know the level probably as well as some of you know some of these managers have managed hundreds of games in League Two, and he probably didn't know the level and the opposition players as much as some of the others. So it just didn't work out for him. But in terms of a coach, um, he was brilliant for me, and I learned, yeah, I learned loads from him. And again, I didn't stop being busy, and he's someone that I would always ask questions like you know. I'd always ask him questions about Champions League at Man United and Euro '96 and things like that, and just just to be in the presence of someone that's you know been at the top of his game could always take loads and loads from him. He was still in the gym and he was still in great shape himself as well. So, and in terms of slight sessions and tap, was there anything that you picked up that was you kind of held with you for the rest of your career? I think particularly the strikers did. Um, some of his finishing drills and stuff were ridiculous. Um, like what? Like what would they do? Trying to explain. Well, he would he would join in. So his finishing was incredible. Um, just I just remember little tight boxes and the the emphasis was more on your first touch um, than the actual shot and getting the ball where manipulating the ball where you want it. Also, his heading for someone of his size, he never um, he never smashed the ball with his head and was powerful, but glancing headers and getting yourself in the right position for the forwards, he was brilliant. And for me, obviously because he's been a forward, he would tell me um, what he found tough in defenders and come and, you know, put himself against me in training and, you know, tell me some of the stuff that top defenders did to him over the years. So little things on corners, he was really cute at... Um, getting half a yard from your man and stuff like that so he's, he's someone that I think could still bounce back and become a real good coach after after leaving Stevenage he went and managed in India for a little bit um, but yeah I definitely think he should still be involved in football and then obviously you stayed at Stevenage for three years is that right? yeah three years and obviously over that time regular in the team did quite well from my understanding yeah something I never wanted to be one of these players that bounced around from club to club all the time. And I think I went there by the, and I was 24 when I signed for Stevenage. And I just wanted somewhere to just settle and, you know, I could actually build a relationship at a club with the fans, move to the area and settle down for a bit. Um, and I'd always had like a little tick list of things I wanted. I'd always wanted to, you know, I wanted to win promotions and I've managed to do that before. I'd always wanted to win a player of the year award somewhere and I managed to do that at my first year at Stevenage. I'd always wanted to play over a hundred games for a club and I managed to do that there. And just wanted to I wanted to establish myself as a football league player because I you know I've been up and down from non league um for quite a while and trying to become it so much that once I you know, once I played 100, 150 games in the football league I was you know I thought like right I've, I've established myself here now and you know, I'm a football league player, which which I'd always wanted to be. So then, kind of after that period, you you've gone to Newport. What was behind the decision to go across there? What, what made you move across quite away, kind of away from London as well? Was obviously where you'd spent yeah. a lot of your career and whatnot. It, it got to the end of the three years, um, and we'd had, you know, Teddy brought me in, and he got he was. Um, he got the sack and then Darren Saul, who was my old youth team manager, took over and uh, he was really good for me and I had him for two, two and a bit years and then he got the sack 
And then it was just a changeover and behind the scenes with the club, um, new manager came in and it was someone that I knew from before that knew how they worked. And I just thought, this is not going to be good for my, you know, how I play football. And it just felt like there was a core group of us that stayed there for a few years and could just tell it needed freshening up. So he offered me a contract when he first came in and I just said to him, I spoke to my wife and just said, just feel like I need something different now. I feel like, you know, I've been there three years and I want a new challenge. And, you know, I was coming to the end of my contract and Newport phoned me and they'd, um, they'd just missed out on the playoffs in League Two and were, were pushing for promotion. So I spoke to their manager and, you know, he offered me a good deal and, you know, said I'd be, you know, the main centre-back and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I went... Um, went and signed and moved to Wales. And then how was that How was that transition for you? How did you find it over there? Obviously, at this point, you're a little bit more senior as well in terms of yeah. your age and your position in squads, etc. No, yeah, I loved it. Um, it's, it's, you can probably tell it's a little bit of a common theme where if I feel a little bit of love from the club or from a manager, it means a lot to me and I play my best football and management fans and chairman and everyone just made me feel like so welcome when I got there made me feel like I was such a crucial part of the team but but yeah I I thrived under it and you know probably played some of my best football in those in those uh those days at Newport and yeah away from it we moved we moved to Wales and it was a complete change of scenery and I just loved everything about you know everything was it was like I was starting fresh and I'd gone to I'd gone to Stevenage as, you know, an up-and-coming player trying to establish myself and now I was going to another club already established and felt comfortable at the level and felt more like a senior player and a leader that I thrived under it and, yeah, I loved every minute of Newport. And is there anything that you... Obviously, we mentioned earlier about the senior players in squads and how bigger impact they had on, on in your career in terms of the environment they'd set. Is there anything that you tried to implement at your later days at Stevenage and then at Newport to make sure kind of the younger players were thriving or anything like that? It's something, yeah, it's something I 100% I I felt like I took it on. I didn't, I probably took it on at Luton actually Um, and I could see, you know, that some of the youth team players there and they're, they're some top young youth team players and they were still in the, they would clean our boots and stuff like that. So I build relationships that way. And my boot boy was actually James Justin, who's um, at Leicester now and playing for England under 21s and has gone on to, you know, he's a Premier League player now. So someone like him who was such a nice kid and um, so talented, he's probably the one that I maybe started off with where I was like, right, maybe I can help him out a little bit and advise him and give him a few tips of what he can do, get him involved with the first team boys a little bit and yeah, I definitely felt like I took that on. At Stevenage particularly, we used to get a lot of um, a lot of loan players from Premier League clubs. So you get young lads coming in from Tottenham and Arsenal and teams like that. So I'd always try and help them because I knew what it was like, you know, being that loan player coming in and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's, it's something I actually really enjoyed and got a lot of you know got a lot of pleasure out of helping some of these young players. And as I say, it's probably something I could have done with a little bit more as I was coming through although at Brentford we did have a good group but something I probably could have done with a little bit more Was there any particular ways you used to do that? I think with some of them 
it would be little things after training. And I think I remember there was a young lad at Newport coming through, Jay Forston, who's played a few first-team games now, but you could just see because he was a centre-back and he had the sort of mentality that I liked, I just I warmed to him a little bit and, you know, I'd, I'd see him do little things in training that um, I used to do when I was inexperienced and just used to take him after training for, you know, five, ten minutes, do, do a few extras with him. I, I did my B licence at that time as well, so I'd done a little little bits of coaching here and there. So I just used to, I used to like having, if you had a young player that was willing to learn and had the right attitude, I used to, you know, I used to love trying to do little extras to help them. And then, obviously, the key thing you said there is that willingness to learn. I guess over the clubs you've been at and stuff, you've seen plenty of youngsters who are talented and maybe don't have that willingness to learn or want to work hard and stuff. As a senior player, how did you find that when you've got these players, you're probably looking at going and got all the talent in the world, but just aren't putting everything together. How was that for you? It's frustrating just because if, if I look at myself as a player, I think I've probably got to the level where um, my ability, you know, my ability was, I think I was probably a league one, league two player. And I feel like I maximised what I had, you know, physically, I, I wasn't strong and I wasn't quick athletically. I wasn't I, I wasn't this specimen that could have got me to the next level, I don't think. I think when you get to Championship, Premier League, you know, you need to be quicker and stronger than I was and, you know, physically a lot better. And these some of these lads were coming in from Premier League clubs with all the tools to become Premier League players, but just not the mentality to push themselves and get the most out of themselves. So... That was something I remember one lad in particular, I won't mention him, but he came from Arsenal and tried so hard to get him because I could see the path he was going down to try and get his head switched on and for him to realise what he had and it just it just couldn't click. I think some, you know, as much as you try, some people just, just don't take it in until it's too late and unfortunately I don't think he's got a club at the minute, but I think when you have got that willingness to learn, that often those are the lads that often overtake the ones with all the ability in the world but no drive or no desire about them to, to get to the top. Obviously, your time at Newport kind of came to a pretty abrupt end. Um, do you just want to talk through kind of that process and, and what actually happened to you? And yeah, just explain basically what happened. Um, so, yeah, we'd, I played... Uh, we'd, so, we'd, done, we'd had a good FA Cup run at, um, at Newport something I'd never really done. Um, always got to like the third or fourth round and drawn like a team in our league or something like that. So we ended up um, playing against Leicester and beat them. Um, then we played against Middlesbrough and beat them. And we were, we were in the last 16 of the FA Cup. So we played Manchester City um, at home on the Saturday. And we got we got beat 4-1. But they like, put out a top team. And then we played against Notts County on Tuesday and I played in that and I came off with about 10 minutes to go um, just feeling a little bit lethargic and then uh, just the day after I came down really ill just thought I had like a virus or getting the flu or something like that um, at a temperature and just was like sweating and shivering at the same time that kind of thing and took myself off to bed um, and then I, I began getting like chest pains and sort of heart palpitations and something I've not really experienced before. So 
my wife was pregnant at the time, so I ended up just lodging in bed saying that I'm I said, you're going to have to take me to hospital, I think, because literally felt like my heart was pumping through my chest at a ridiculous rate. And then when I, I got to the hospital and they took my heart rate and it was like, sky high, um, so they rushed, me, they rushed me through and they thought I had sepsis at first, which is like, um, like an infection in the blood. They put me on a drip and antibiotics and that kind of thing and managed to get my heart rate down. Um, but I'd stayed, I'd stayed in there for about 10 days and I contracted an infection around my heart. Um, but once once they'd scanned my heart, they'd seen an issue that I had with uh, the aorta, which is the main artery for the heart and the main artery for pumping blood through the body. And um, and yeah, just had seen a, an issue that I had with that, um, which meant any excessive exercise was gonna, you know, wasn't really safe. Um, and yeah, within about well, within about ten days, the cardiologist at the hospital was saying, you know, I had to retire from football immediately, and couldn't give me the go ahead to, you know, be a professional footballer and being, you know, pushing myself every day. Um, but obviously, I didn't want to accept it, and so Newport um, had sent me to like top specialists around the country. So that took about two weeks to get the results back, and when they came back, yeah. Everyone just saying it was too risky for me, um, how my heart is at the moment, to, to go back to playing. So, so yeah, I was forced to retire in the March um, when I was 28, yeah. So, yeah, it was tough. During, like, when you're signing for different clubs and you're going through that process, had you had heart scans and stuff beforehand or not? So, I'd had a, I'd had a heart scan at age 16 um, when I was a YT at Brentford. We all had to have them, and the ECG, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I've had that one as well. Yeah. So, so I remember I got we were training, then I got pulled out of training, and I was like, "What's going on here?" And they got sent to the manager's office, and they were like, "Right, they've seen something in your heart scan." Um, and it's like nothing to worry about. It's just an irregular heartbeat. But we're going to go and send you off for tests. So that, at 16, I was like, then I was almost fearing that I was going to have to, you know, I weren't going to get taken on at Brentford. Um, it was pre-season at this time, and this was classed as our medical, and they were pulling me out of training saying that you can't do any any training until we've got this checked out. So I remember at that time I was petrified. I was like, what is going on here? Um, but I went to went to the specialists, and, you know, they just said that you've got a an issue with a valve in your heart, um, one percent of the population have got it, but it won't it won't stop you playing football. So I've got to be given the all clear to go and play football. But now it's the level that I've played at, if I look through the clubs that you get extensive medicals on like your hands even, you know, your feet, your ankles, your knees, but nothing nothing on the heart. And it was just all like exterior, if you like, um, medical. So it was like you know, you get your ankles and your knees tested. But yeah, strangely enough, it wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't scanned for about 10, 12 years. So, so was it the same problem? Did uh, it link, or was it just completely different? It wasn't the same problem, but whether one has caused the other, they they can't be sure because there's a twelve year gap where I've not got any. You know, I've not got any data from. Nothing's been seen, so madness. Really. Not sure if it, if it came on rapidly or if it's something that's gradually got worse throughout my career but 
it's something that until until I actually until I'd actually stopped playing and started thinking back, I'd always had moments in in games or in training where I'd go a little bit dizzy or lightheaded, and whether that's anything to do with it, I'm not too sure. But I just thought. I think a lot of people get it, you know, if you if you run too much in pre-season or yeah. something like that. But I was probably getting it more regular than I should have done. Um, but it's not, it's not something I even paid much attention to. I just thought, you know, I was out of breath or I was working hard and that kind of thing. So it was just natural and it, it happened to everyone, really. So something that I didn't really think of until I retired. I was like, oh, actually, that might have been like a little, little warning sign, maybe. And then, obviously, that's a difficult time for you, you kind of... A, a club that are doing well and you're doing well and you've kind of forged out the career that you wanted how difficult was that over that period where you're being told no you, you can't do this anymore it's not safe yeah it was tough um, I was captain at the time at Newport as well so you know, I really established myself there quite early um, and I was yeah, it's probably the most I was ever enjoying football I loved it there um, so yeah it was it's just something that was so out of the blue. Um, I, I still find it hard to explain. But just, I think one of the, the hardest bits was when I was told, um, I was told I had to retire by the general cardiologist and then I had a two-week gap of when I got results back from a specialist. So that two weeks, I was in complete limbo whether I was going to have to re- definitely retire or if I had a bit of hope in coming back. But I was just so anxious. I couldn't sleep. Um overthinking like what am I going to do next how am I going to you know this is the only thing I've ever done as a career what am I going to do next I wasn't prepared I don't think enough um, which is something I want to help people with going forward but yeah it was just it was just anxious and worried and probably probably the best thing about it was um, my wife was pregnant so she was seven or eight months pregnant by the time I had to retire and it just gave me a completely different perspective on life that, you know, I was about to become a dad and gave me a new focus. And at first I was like, you know, thinking this is unfair and why is this happening? And, you know, I should have at least six or seven years left of the career and that kind of stuff. But probably made me by the other way where, you know, now I look back and I'm just, I'm grateful that I've had, you know, I've been a full-time footballer near enough for 12 years now. Um, you know, I've managed to have the career I've had and come away from the game well, healthy. I can lead a healthy lifestyle now. Um, and I think, yeah, I think becoming a dad gave me that new perspective on it. And I almost just felt grateful that I'd had the time I'd had. And, you know, this wasn't, you know, it could have been the case at 16, this was picked up and I'd never experienced anything I have done. So. And how long did it take you to have that perspective? Because obviously that's a real positive perspective to have. Yeah. No, it, it it did take me it did take me a while initially, um, but as I say, I, I think just becoming a dad gave me a different perspective on life, and almost had the mentality of right, this day was always going to come that I'd have to retire. It's come, you know, a lot sooner than I'd hoped, and not in the circumstances I'd hoped, but it was always going to come. So now, you know, the main thing is nothing happened. You know, if if I didn't contract this infection around the heart, then it never would have got scanned and something, you know, fatal might have happened on the pitch, so we never know. So I can be grateful that I've, I've stepped away from the game healthy and, you know, grateful for the experiences that football has given me, really. And you can be a dad and, and whatnot and imagine and a husband and that type of stuff. 
And then did you get any help with the transition away from football? Because obviously, as you said, it's a, it's a shock. It's March, it's, yeah. you know, getting down to the business end of a season, if you like, and you, you wouldn't have any plans to be doing anything else. Did you get any help with that transition away? Did you get any support with that? I think the, the main support I got was from the football club in Newport. They were, they were brilliant with me. Um, one of my main initial worries was obviously financially, um, but they, they, you know, assured me. You know, they give me a little bit of time under the contract I was still on to, you know, try and figure out what I was going to do next and that kind of thing. So they, they were, you know, they were brilliant with me because, as I say, I was so anxious at the time, and any little thing that every everything was a little worry. So that was like a little one I could tick off for a few months and could give me a bit of time. Um, in terms of help from like the PFA and stuff. I think with the PFA, you have to reach out to them. I didn't get any anything coming from them saying, can we help you with anything or anything like that. But I did reach out to them to try and look at some courses I could go on and, you know, enroll at university, which which really helped. Um, you know, I wouldn't have been able to afford it, but they, they helped me fund, um, you know, doing the master, master's degree at university. But, yeah, it's something that, I think football is so demanding then and coaches in football are so demanding that everything's football, football, football and everything away from football is seen as a distraction or you know, I've seen I've seen players try and do things away from football or be on a coach journey and they're doing, you know, some coursework or something. And the manager's like, What are you doing that for? You wanna work on your first touch first or something like that and make little remarks like that and it's always I don't know, I always had the mentality of um if I'm doing something away from football, you know, that means I'm not dedicating my time to football. So it's going to be a distraction. So I wasn't prepared. And it's something I think a lot more needs to be done around it because there's a generation of players that are retiring and have no idea what they want to do next and no real life skills of, you know, how to, how to go about what they're going to do next either. And it's not even, not, not even a case of, of um, players at my level. I've seen, you know, I've seen Premier League players that I've spoken to who are financially set for life but are really struggling just because you come away from football and they've got no purpose and they've got nothing to get them up in the morning and you know they, some of them have got all the money in the world but but that's it they feel like they're you know has been footballer and they've got nothing left to achieve where I just think that I think you can you know working with young players I'd always encourage having interest away from football and as I said it help it can it can help when you're not 100% football 24-7 because as I say I was that and when I'd had a bad game I'd take it home with me where sometimes if you have got other interests it, it's you know it's a switch off away from football and something else to focus on. That drive that you had for football was now kind of being placed in maybe a different area of it you mentioned kind of right at the start of this that you you doing a little bit of work for Bristol City in terms of scouting and doing a little bit of work with uh, Premier League clubs and going in and doing talks around social media and that. How have you found kind of that transition? Um, and is there any skills that you found are really easily transferable, or is there anything that's really challenged you in that context? Um, I think I think the main difference for me at the start was routine I think you know like I think you the work I'm doing now is 
it's not like a nine to five office where I've got I've not got a workplace. So a lot of my days are working from home or going into an academy or going into you know a football club. I think the routine of being a footballer, you know, you know every single day where you need to be. You're told what time to be there, how long you're going to be there. You know, everything is so planned and. For me, like, you know, in two weeks' time, you're going to be up north for a day and that kind of thing. For me, that was probably the hardest part is getting that routine. And the, the, I think the routine is, is the key because at first, you know, I was getting out of bed late and I was eating what I wanted because, you know, I didn't need to keep in shape anymore to because I wasn't, you know, going to be an athlete. Um, but, you know, I was drinking more than I ever did, things like that. But, you know, I quickly... Quickly, well, my wife quickly got me out of that. Um, I just, I just got a routine, and you know, I like to get up early, and I'm quite an active person. Um, but it's just creating, creating your day really. So I like to, you know, get up and I try and keep a structure in place, and it's something. It is something that you don't, you know, in football, it's there for you. When you step away from it, like, you know, you got to fend for yourself. So it does make being a, you know, a footballer look really simple. Um, when you do step out into the real world, but there's definitely there's definitely a lot of transferable skills, um, and that's why I think a lot needs to be done um, in helping young like young footballers because they do have so much more to offer in other industries. You know, when when they do leave the game, you know things like teamwork, leadership, being driven. Like no matter how, no matter how talented you are to become a professional footballer, you have to have some kind of drive and want to be you know want to be better than other people and compete. And there's so much, there's so much footballers can do away from football and other industries that you know can go a long way. Do you wish you'd branched out when you were still playing when you were younger? Yeah, definitely. I think I was just I was ne- I was never open minded. I was never it's quite embarrassing to even think of now that I was. Ne- if anyone had like a a job away from football, I didn't even I wasn't even interested. Like they weren't interesting to me. I don't. Like I, I, even other sports, I never even looked into other sports and how they do things. It was just everything was just football, and I wish I'd have been a little bit more open-minded because I think having that I could have taken bits from other sports and other industries and learned from other people and took it into football. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something. It was never pushed onto me um, in the football industry that I was in or encouraged. So naturally you didn't you, you know you didn't go towards it but it's definitely something I wish I would have done younger yeah and then obviously you mentioned earlier about the Bristol City scouting role how do you find being on the other side of the fence obviously you've gone from being the one who's just playing and being judged to now you're being the one who's judging people if you like yeah. how have you found that um that kind of development and have you enjoyed it? I have, yeah. It's um, it is completely different, and you watch football completely different. Um, for me, we've got a, at Bristol a way of playing and a brief for the kind of player that the manager wants to bring in. So, so I'm given almost like a checklist of what this player has to have if he's going to come in. Um, but it is, yeah, I've really enjoyed it, and it's you know I've watched you know from non-league football to Premier League football this season. Um, watch different countries and, and stuff like that so it's I want to I want to remain in football in, in some capacity I'm still not 100% sure what it looks like long term going forward um, 
yeah, I've really enjoyed the you know the scouting side, and it does make you watch football in a completely different way. When you know when I if I was to scout myself uh, from when I was playing, it would just make me look completely different of what clubs are actually looking for at the elite level. Is there anything if you scouted yourself or you look back at you would have gone? I should have worked on this area that I wasn't aware of at the time. I think my my main flaws were were more physical, um, and I think I, I, I think I tried to work on it so much. To be, I, I was always mobile, but I was never quick, and I was never a strong, big, dominant centre back. But I almost I think I think sometimes you can look at you know a lot of kids now will want to look at Van Dyke and. I think Jamie Carragher was talking about it the other day. Some some kids will never be able to play like he does because they've not got his physical attributes. So you've got to use what you've got. You know, Van Dyke can come over the top and header it. You know, any you know beat anyone in the air. For me, I I was I was six foot two, but quite slim. And you know, you come against big strikers at a six foot five. You've got to be clever. And um, yeah, so I had to use what what I got, and I I do feel like although I probably lacked in the physical department, I had to you know it gave me you know I had to problem solve and use what I had, and try and use other ways of putting you know putting a striker off in the air or nicking in front and things like that. So, but now as I say, I think physically, I, you know, I just wasn't naturally gifted in that department really. And then do you have a process when you're going to a game? Like, do you get there early and watch warm-ups? Do you watch them coming in? Do you just watch the game? Like, how does that look on a on a game day basis? It does differ. Um, some, you know, some, sometimes you're covering a morning game and then going to a first-team game, so you don't get to, you know, you don't get the time for that. But ideally, um, yeah, I like to get there early. Um, you're usually sat with other, other scouts and other people in football, so... Again, I like to speak to them and see what's going on at their clubs and, you know, different different people in different roles. Um, but yeah, as I said, I like to I like to try and keep a routine of as if I'm playing. So I like to get there quite early and it's like a match day for me on a Saturday. So uh, that, that part of it I really enjoy. And then obviously we, we skipped over this slightly earlier on, but you mentioned kind of playing Man City when at Newport. Imagine for you that must have been a amazing experience, but again, amazing learning experience competing against some of the best players in the country and with Pep and stuff. How was it? And was there anything that you particularly learned that you took away from that game? Going like the top players do this, or I, I never you don't see this on TV, but like they do this really well. I think. Um... Yeah, so yeah, because before that we played Leicester in the third round, and that was um, that was one of the best days I've had in football. That where I had all my family there, and you know we beat them on TV and stuff. So that was like, unbelievable. And then it set up the Man City game, and just to like even be on the same pitch as you know, played like David Silva and Sane, and and just I think the the main difference I was just they made everything look so simple, and they do everything at, with pace and purpose. We had one of the worst pitches in the league at Newport and they played as if it was Wembley. They everything they did, they took care of it and I just think the the speed that they do things and the way they control the ball I mean it play is just frightening. And it was just doing doing the simple things well and the pace that that separated them from us really. 
But we gave we gave them a good game. It was nil nil at half time, um, and then we pulled it back to two one in stoppage time, and then they ended up going up the other end and scoring. But it was um, it was something they would not have enjoyed playing uh, on that pitch. But they just made it look so simple and effortless, and just kept the ball so well. But yeah, it's just that. Uh, I think when it comes to the end of the end of your career, and you can say you was on the same pitch as some of them players, and yeah, so that was a good day. Cool, cool. So last question, which is I I ask this to everyone, which is who's the best player you've played with or against, or manager you've played with or against, and why? The best player I played with uh, is probably I'd say Joby Makinoff. Um, so I played with him at Stevenage, and he's he's another one that's he's been you know at the top at the top flight and been a Premier League player. So he came to us when he was at the back end of his career, but just to play with him and just so much quality um, on and off the pitch and as a person as well, just so professional, proper leader, uh, brilliant with young players. He was a Jamaican international at the time. Um, he actually. Uh, He's got a great photo where he's played against Messi um, when he was at Argentina and they swap shirts at the end of the game and Messi actually asks uh, for Joby's shirt, which uh, is an honour for anyone, I think. Um, but I do think he's the best I've played with um, just as an all-round professional. And then against... Um, you, you can take anyone from that Man City game, but the person's probably given me the hardest game. We've, I played against Stoke when Peter Crouch was up front. And he scored a hat trick against me. Um, literally peeled onto me for three headers, uh, and he gave me a he gave me a tough a tough afternoon. So I'd say I'd say he's probably as a performance wise, he's probably the hardest I played against. I have to go with a with a manager that I've managed against. I have to say Pep because I managed to managed to do that last season. So I don't think there's many that are, are going to beat him. And then manager that I've that I've met. Uh, has been my manager. I'd probably say Jamie Day, who was my Welling manager. Just think he was per- at the perfect manager um, for me at that point in my career, where I probably could have slipped away, um, you know, drifted out of football, really. But he, he, you know, he saved me and got my career back on track. So he's, I'd say he's the best manager I've worked with. Cool. Well, listen, Fraser, I really appreciate you giving up quite a bit of your time to kind of talk through everything there. And I'm glad to hear that you're doing well and you and the family are safe and whatnot. So um, fingers crossed everything keeps going in that direction. I'm sure via Robin and whatnot, we'll catch up again soon. Yeah. yeah. No, cheers for that, mate. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.